Okay, so last week, this, so this gospel passage that we just heard, it follows right off of last week. So just a little bit of reminder about last week. Jesus, he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is, which is, that's who Jesus is. And they start to say, you know, Elijah or John the Baptist or maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets, Jeremiah, we heard from today. Um, and, and he's like, no, okay, but, but I know that you know more than they do. So who do you say that I am? And it's Simon who jumps up. So we don't know what the other apostles thought, except maybe they, they agreed with him. And so he spoke on their behalf. Maybe it was unique that he was able to, to see clearly who Jesus is. Um, and, and maybe they didn't know. We're not really sure because they didn't speak. But what we do know is that Simon Peter spoke and he said very clearly, he sees you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter, uh, Simon sees very clearly who this is. And, and Jesus himself says, well, it's, you didn't learn this from anyone else because I know that my father in heaven told you who this is. And so then from there, he changes his name from Simon to Peter, uh, which the Greek word, uh, the Greek name Peter, as well as the Aramaic name Peter, it means uh, it is the same thing. It means rock. So you are rock, and upon this church, upon this, upon this rock, excuse me, I will build my church. That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's laying the foundation for his church, which is on the stone, the foundation stone of Peter himself. Uh, we talked about how, how he gave him this particular office. Jesus, of course, is the head of the church, uh, just as a king would be a head of the kingdom. Um, but he's an invisible head. We don't see him the same way that they saw him back then. So he establishes Peter as an office uh, of, of the Pope, right? The, he gives him this office as a visible head for his church. So that even when Peter dies, another person is chosen to succeed him in that office. So there's Peter and Linus and Cletus and Clement uh, and on and on and on all the way up to Pope Francis. He establishes the papacy on this. But, so, and, he, and in doing this, he gives him a particular kind of authority. So uh, the, official, the official title is Albayit, the, the, um, the one who is over the household. It's, it's the, the office of Peter, uh, his task to govern the Lord's church, to govern and care for the Lord's church in a particular kind of way. He gives him this, this unique authority. What we're actually going to hear next week is that Jesus then gives the rest of the apostles also a kind of authority. It's, it's not the same authority that he gives to Peter, but he does give him authority. We're going to hear him say this, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's this kind of, there's this kind of thing sort of, sort of filling itself out here where Jesus is the head and behind him is Peter and behind Peter is, are the rest of the apostles. And then what we find out actually is that these apostles, again, it's, it's an office. It's not something that only these 12 get to be a part of. And then once they die, well, too bad there's no more apostles. But we actually find out in the Bible that they expect this or anticipate that this is an office. Uh, when, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, we know that Judas goes off and he takes his life. He, he, he dies. While they're waiting for Pentecost to come in Acts chapter 1, they replace Judas as apostle. They don't just say, we got, we got rid of Judas, now we got to find someone else to kind of take his place, but not really. No, they say, we need to get someone to join our ranks. So they replace Judas with this guy, Matthias. And so we, we understand from this that there's a kind of office that's here so that even if one of them dies, they'll replace them with another. And then we also see actually in the example of St. Paul and St. Barnabas that 
that they add to their number to the apostles. Paul, of course, is added as an apostle. Barnabas would be considered also an apostle, uh, like a second generation kind of apostle. So it's, it's an office that, that continues uh, to have people succeed them so that when one dies, they replace. And if they have greater need, then they will add to their number. Uh, so we actually, we continue to do this in the church today. We actually say that the bishops in the church are the successors to the apostles. What we see then in Acts chapter 13, verses six, or excuse me, chapter 13 through chapter 16, is we see a, a couple of things different play out. One of them, uh, maybe the main thing I want to talk about, is, is that they then choose other men and appoint them and ordain them to share in their authority, to not have the same amount of authority, but to share in their authority to minister, to preach and teach, uh, to, to bring the Lord Jesus' presence through the sacraments, for example. These are the pres- presbyters, what we call the priests. So we see really clearly that even in the Bible, before, before things continue to play themselves out as they have uh, throughout 2,000 years, but even in the Bible, we see the, the, the structure of the Catholic Church, actually. Right? So what we're talking about here is that Jesus doesn't establish just any sort of random church, but he establishes a particular church, and that particular church is the Catholic Church. Uh, it, it looks uh, with the same hierarchy as it did back then. So we can, we can talk about this in, in a number of different ways. We can talk about it like, like top to bottom, you know, like we're up here and you're down there. Or we could talk about like, uh, the best image I've heard is like mar- coming up a mountain, right? So, so there's Jesus, of course, who is leading everybody up the mountain. Uh, and he's on this incredible adventure, this incredible journey where, where he's the leader. And so he's on his way. And behind him, right after him, is his right-hand man, his, his second in, in command, St. Peter, or, or the, the office of Peter, who's then following the Lord Jesus. And behind Peter would be the rest of the apostles, the bishops, uh, who again are following Peter, who is following Jesus. And then underneath them would be the priests, the presbyters, who are following the apostles, following Peter, following Jesus. And then after them would be the, the people of God. And ultimately, this particular structure, uh, it, it, it is all geared toward one particular purpose. There are a number of things that flow out of this one particular purpose, but the primary purpose of Jesus establishing this whole thing is ultimately to care for these people at the end, the people of God. Uh, that's, that's the whole purpose for, for all of these people, the leaders of the church, to be the shepherds of God's people, to care for them and ultimately to lead them up the mountain where, again, they don't, they don't just go up the mountain for the mountain's sake, but they go up the mountain to encounter God, to encounter Jesus Christ in his fullness. So that's, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And on paper, this, this is perfect, actually. On paper, right, you think about this. Of course, Jesus is at the head. And so, you know, wherever Jesus leads the rest of everybody else, it's going to be the exact place where, where God wants them to be. It's going to be the exact place where they can encounter God face to face. And, and presumably, you'd have a person occupying the office of Peter, the office of the Pope, who is following Jesus perfectly, and, and, and so therefore is, has a vested interest not only in getting to Jesus, but then also in guiding everybody there. And you'd have bishops and apostles who, again, are, of course, they're, they're inspired by the example of Peter. They're, they're, of course, wanting to follow Jesus, and so they're leading up the mountain. And the same thing with the priests, the presbyters. You'd want this on, on, on paper. It's perfect. And then you can actually even extend a, a little bit of the authority. It's not exactly the same thing, but, but we know that we have like catechists, we have teachers in Catholic schools, we have parents, we have all kinds of different people that participate in some way in the ministry of the church. 
And again, presumably, this would be a perfect system where we all want to go in the right direction so that whether, whether we're following the Lord Jesus directly or whether we're being led by one of his shepherds, we, we know with confidence that we're going to the very place that Jesus wants us to go because this is the church that he establishes on paper. Of course, we know in reality that the perfection seems like it kind of runs out a little bit. We, we know that, that in, in real life, in fact, just looking at our gospel passage uh, today, what, what happens? Well, we see what happens. Jesus, from the time that he appoints Peter as the first pope, as the rock, the, the, the foundation stone for the church, what happens? He then starts to tell the apostles how it is that he's going to save the world, how he's going to suffer, he's going to be handed over, he's going to be killed ultimately, and then be raised. And in Peter's mind, he's, he's immediately thinking, like, this isn't, this isn't my plan. And so what does he do? He's, he immediately takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him, which is just a crazy thing to think about. Jesus just gave him his authority, and now Peter is pulling him aside and telling him, no, Lord, this isn't how it's going to be. This isn't, that might be your plan, but my plan is something completely different. And so this, like, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing to think about that, that Peter would, would assume the role of Jesus rather than continuing to follow after Jesus. And so then what happens? Well, Jesus, who gave Simon Peter a new name last week, now gives him a new name this week, which is what? Get behind me, Satan. He says, you are an obstacle to me. That word obstacle, it's, it's a, the Greek word is scandalon, which sounds like what? It sounds like scandal. Uh, in, in the word itself, scandal, it means stumbling stone. So Peter, who is the foundation stone, he becomes the stumbling stone because he's a sinful man. And this is, this is what we encounter in the church really throughout history, that, that there have been popes who have been holy and righteous men, but we also know there, there have been popes who have been wicked and sinful men. There have been bishops uh, who have been holy and righteous men, saintly even, but we also know there have been plenty of bishops that have not been saintly, that have been wicked and compromised. There have been priests who have been, again, holy and righteous, but there have also been priests who have done what? They've misled people. They've been a stumbling stone to people, either leading them uh, away from the mountain of the Lord or causing them to stumble so that they can't get up. We know that throughout church history, uh, Back then, as well as in the current day, there have been plenty of scandals throughout the church. And, and this, is, this is, of course, a tragic thing, right? Because what happens? On paper, this perfect system, it begins to look not so perfect. It begins to look imperfect. It begins to look actually very flawed. And, and this, is, this is kind of a strange thing, right? That, that the Lord, for some reason, for some reason, he chooses to establish this church and he uses sinful men to lead his church. And I know this because I myself am a sinner. I know this because I myself, I know, have had difficulties with, with different members of the hierarchy. I know this because I myself have been difficult for some people. And, and I know that, that this has been the case throughout church history and, and it's a tragic and a sad thing and, and I don't really have a good answer for it or a good explanation or a good sort of like anything but, but except to say that if you've encountered this in any way, I, there's, there's nothing left to say but I'm sorry that this has happened to you. There's nothing left to say. That, that we're all sinful people and so because we're all sinful people, we're prone toward going astray. Or we're prone toward leading people astray. I think of this, again, with, with popes, with bishops, with priests, but I think of this also with like catechists, with parents who maybe have led people astray or who have been such a scandal to them that it's caused major problems in people's lives of faith. 
And it's, it's, a, it's a, again, a very sad and tragic thing. And so I just, I just think about like, well, what, what are we supposed to do? And I think what we're supposed to do ultimately is to take the next words of Jesus to heart. Because I think, I think he had this in mind. He knew, of course, Jesus, he's omniscient. So he knew that this was a, a perfect thing on paper, but imperfectly kept by sinful men and women. And so I think he knew that this was the kind of thing that would take place. And in fact, he actually talks about this. He talks about those who are leading others if they lead them astray, if they lead them into sin. Those who, who lead others if they are a stumbling stone to other people, a scandal to other people. He actually says that they will be judged more harshly and more strictly. At the end of our gospel passage, he says, he will repay to all according to his conduct. The Lord is, is fully aware of all who have ever led anyone astray, be it priest, bishop, pope, or, or catechist, or, te- or, or teacher, or parent, whatever it is. He is fully aware of all who have led others astray, as well as fully aware of all of those who have led others to the Lord Jesus, to himself. And so he will judge all according to his conduct. And so just to know, like if you've encountered this in your life of, of scandalous priests or bishops, which, which of course we know have taken place, whether in, in the local area or in the, in the whole, around the whole world, because we can see it on the news. If you've encountered this, just know that the Lord will judge those people. And I know something that can happen when we encounter these kinds of scandals or these kinds of, like if, we're, if we recognize that we've been misled, if, if, if we recognize that, that we've been duped in so many ways, as Jeremiah said, duped not by the Lord, but in so many ways duped by the Lord's church, by members or leaders of his church. If we recognize these things, it can feel what? It can feel like a, an incredible betrayal, like an incredibly sad and angry maybe or resentful or, or embarrassing kind of thing, a disappointing kind of thing. And this, I think, is what the Lord had in mind when he says this. Uh, of course, I think he had a number of things, but, but he says, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, of course, like I said, I think, I think the Lord probably had a, a number of different things in mind. He probably, he certainly had things in mind about like our own attachments to sin, our own difficulties to, to break free from these kinds of things, our own uh, times when we bump into the teaching of Jesus, and, and he's telling us, okay, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross. But I think he also had it in mind, those who have encountered the scandals of the church. Because it's in those moments of disappointment, of sadness, of anger, of resentment, of embarrassment, it's in those moments that in so many ways it can feel like there's a crucifixion taking place. Where, where it's like, I've, I've given my life to this church. I've, I've read the scriptures, I've studied church history, and I believe that this is the church that Jesus himself established. And so I give myself over to it only then to run into scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. Now, now hopefully, you've, you've also met good and holy priests in your lives. But, but again, I'm not, I'm not blind to the reality that, that priests never live up to their calling. Bishops never live up to their calling. So I'm not blind to that because I know my own life. I know my own struggles. I know my own need to go to confession. And so in those moments where we're, we're sort of faced with the sinful humanity of each priest, of each bishop, of each pope, uh, whether in the past or in the present, where it just feels like there's an incredible betrayal that is just so hurtful. And it's just like, what am I supposed to do with this? And the Lord says this, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's a big temptation whenever we, we meet with scandal. There's a big temptation to just stop climbing the mountain. There's a big temptation to go find some other mountain to climb. But the reality is the same, that this is the church that Jesus established. 
whether the leaders of the church are holy and righteous men or whether they are sinful and wicked. This is still the church that Jesus established. And so what the Lord is saying in those moments where you feel that hurt and that pain or that disappointment and sorrow or that anger, the Lord's words are to follow after him because he himself takes up his cross of humiliation, of mockery, of rejection by his own followers, by the very people that he came to save. And so he says to you, come after me, come after me. And when you do this, I think, I think then we start to get after what St. Paul is saying to the Romans, where he says that we are to offer, he encourages us, he urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Where we might say to ourselves, gosh, this, things seem really messy right now, things seem really scandalous, and I think I would rather go find some other denomination to go to, or I think I would just rather stop coming altogether. But in these moments where I offer myself as a living sacrifice, where I deny myself and I follow after Jesus because this is the church that he established, it's in those moments that that living sacrifice is what? It is holy and pleasing to God. It is an act of worship where we show the Lord, look, Lord, it makes me so sad that that your leaders are not living up to their call. But nonetheless, you are worth all of it for me. Because I want to find you, and this is the mountain that you are climbing, that you have climbed, and I myself will stay on this mountain and, 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 and long and push, push through for you to climb to you. This is what he's getting at. You know, the, this age, this world, as Paul says, he says, don't conform yourselves to this age. Because what? Because this age would say to you, oh, I, you don't have to believe that anymore. You can find Jesus anywhere. That's what this age would say. St. Paul says, don't conform yourself to this age, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect, to push through the scandal, to push through the sadness, to push through the hurt and the disappointment, whether that disappointment is with someone 50 years ago or whether the disappointment is with the person who's speaking to you right now or anyone in between to push through that and keep climbing the mountain of the Lord because it is on this mountain where the Lord makes us a kingdom, where the Lord establishes, has established his church. And it is in this church, as he said last week, that the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against.